G'day ladies and gents and welcome back to Life of Mine, the only, the go-to mining podcast in the world. Maddie Michael here and we present you another episode by our friends at TLT Turbo and we've got the fan man back for another in- instalment. I hope you enjoyed the first one. If you haven't listened to the first TLT Turbo episode, go back to my yarn with Paul Machete where we talked about the fan man himself and a good overview of the ventilation industry. Today, we are going specific. We are talking about fan installations, surface primary fan installations, booster fan installations, underground, secondary fan installations, centrifugal axials, you name it, we talk about it. You want to, if you're into ventilation, this is your type of chat. So, before we get into it, if you want to get in contact with the fan man Paul Machete at TLT Turbo, go to tltturbo.com, navigate your way to the Australia page, and you'll find contact details for the fan man. And as I say in the interview, make sure you call him the fan man and you will put yourself in prime position. For a fan discount that is not solicited by TLT Turbo, I just made that up. But anyway, it's worth a try. It's worth a try. So, without further ado, let's get into our chat about ventilation fan installations with the fan man. Here we go. Copy, Right, the fan man is back in town. Have you been have you been publicly called the fan man yet? After I've touted you with this hey, nickname. G'day mate Matt. Um yeah, a couple of people are starting to poke Is it coming on? Is it, man, yeah. It's coming on, I, is I'm, it? I'm still a bit uh still getting used to it, I think. Oh look but it's a oh, I mean, it's a big thing. It's, yeah, well yeah, I don't normally see that up in lights anywhere around, so it's a bit <laughs> It's a bit it'd be a big adjustment in life getting um labelled as the fan man. It but is. Look, Paul, it's happening and you've got to deal with it. Thank but you. We yeah. will get through this together. Yeah. I'll start with a joke. I've made up a ventilation joke. Oh no. It's good. Yeah, yeah. I think it's good. <laughs> so your audience will be the judge. A ventilation engineer is down the hole doing a survey. Wind fairy. Wind fairy. And they turn a he turns they turn a fan on. And all this stuff blows out the vent bag, rocks and dust and everything. What did the ventilation engineer do? They ducked. <laughs> <laughs> That's a dead joke, Matt. How yeah, good is it? That's a dead joke. I was bloody impressed with that. <laughs> they ducked. <laughs> they ducked. I'm glad it. you got it. I'm thinking, imagine if you, if I get a bloody blank look. Yeah, no, they ducked it. Yeah, <laughs> I got it. I'm going to make one up each episode. Good, yeah. I look forward to it. Right. <laughs> Gotta be a little bit better these, than that these, one. Are, these jokes are sponsored by TLT Turbo Australia. <laughs> <laughs> What's been happening, mate? What's been happening in the bloody, as I said, we've been getting some fan mail in. People loved your first episode. Good, yeah, that's great. It's Even great. Diamond Drillers are commenting on how much they enjoyed the ventilation it's episode. Gr- it's great. Um, no, it's 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 this is all new new for me. It's It's been fantastic experience so far. I mean, loving it. Um, getting out and about. And, you know, raising the TLT profile. 
Schmoozing, the word. Sh- yeah. Schmoozing. No, Schmoozing, yeah. Not a, generally not a big fan for the schmooze, but. Not a big fan. Not a big fan for the <laughs> schmooze, but yeah, yeah. But it's, um, look, it's one of those things, you know, I need to get out and about. People need to know what we can offer. Uh, they need to know a little bit about me, where I come from. Um, yeah, it's all about increasing the profile. Nice. I mm. like it. Right. So we are here today to expand on our first ventilation episode, which was a bit of an overview of, from the about the fan men and fans themselves. But we are going down a very specific route today of fan installations. Getting tech the, talk. The first step after you buy it, essentially, after you buy the fan. Tech talk, yeah. Tech talk. We've got uh, – well, if you uh, – are there letters after your name? Like, you know, you were saying, like, you know, people are MD or engineer and, like, it should be, like, Paul Machete F.A.N. or something like – Fan man? That could be fan the man. that could be the university letters that come after a ventilation expert like yourself, just F.A.N. No, I don't really have any letters after my name, but, you know, like I said in the first, first episode, 40 years experience in fans and – you know, what more do you need? 26, tonight? 27 in mining. So, um, pretty good appreciation of installations, <laughs> how to make them, how to put them together, and you know, how they're installed and applications and various install, you know, inlet losses, outlet losses. You know, if fans are incorrectly installed on sites because of um, people cutting corners on inlet designs or you know, ducting designs and whatnot, it all impacts on the flow. Um, Fans a bit like, you know, computers, you know, if there's a poor uh, flow profile into the fan, airflow profile into the fan, then the impeller won't work effectively. Um, it just mashes more mash um, and you don't get any performance out of the fan. So it's important that the air is flowing, has a nice profile going into the fan. And to do that, you need, you know, a length of duct work in front of the fan so the air has a chance to equalise and stabilise in the duct flow before it enters the impeller. So there's like so taking out the big shock loss at the at the entry point, you're saying. So if you've got like a big massive drive and then it's getting sucked into this tiny bloody inlet instantly, no now, good. Th- that's all right, but as long as the flow that's flowing into it has a, a uniform flow pattern, like a nice there's no turbulent around any obstructions yeah, yeah. in the flow. If there's a bend just before it enters the fan, then the air coming around the bend will be turbulent and the turbulent air will go into the impeller and it's just you know, mixing up mash. Um, so the impeller wing and the, the blade profile doesn't effectively draw through the, the, the airflow and generate flow and the pressure. It's just turbulent air over turbulent air. It's like a fan, uh, like a plane going through uh, a wind shear um, s- sort of type scenario where the air, the aeroplane wing doesn't get a chance to provide proper lift and it goes through a wind shear and it'll fall out of the sky. Yeah. It's the same sort of aerodynamic principle. So that side of things, when you're looking at, you know, the underground design and the installation, is that is that the from say the TLT sort that that stuff out, or do you engage ventilation consultants to do that side of things to that for the modelling and all of that? Most of the consultants are up to speed on a lot of that, and they understand the basics. Um, a lot of the site guys probably don't get it so much. Um, because they, you know, they don't under, they don't understand the fan engineering aspect to all of it, and I get that. That's fine. Um, most of the consultants are all all over that. The fan engineers, we have, you know, C, uh, CFD or 
um, computerized flow dynamic programs that can assess flow profiles through duct work and we can optimize the flow through the duct through the bends to make sure that there's nice even profile into the fan impellers so they're doing they're working at their optimum efficiency um but sometimes you know like we all know that mine sites are pretty agricultural um and you don't have, yeah, yeah you don't have the luxury all the time for you know for the space i.e have a nice long inlet duct situation they might not space be spaced to provide that so you know there's always corners and compromises made with with site installations compared to the optimum aerodynamic profile as well too yeah what um let's start on the we'll start on the big fans the surface ones the big the big humdingers primary fan primary installations fans. so primary fan installations predominantly installed on the surface how what, what would you say percentage wise are there many that are actually installed underground for um, whatever reason it depends reason? on the size of the mine uh, most of the time um, and the flow requirements obviously the the, the the complete mine design ventilation requirements um, and then it comes down to equipment that's underground and and flow and pressure requirements and whatnot um, the surface installations will vary um, in size depending on the flow and pressure requirements for that mine um mine like St Barbara is quite deep uh so the pressures are quite high so the centrifugal fans are employed more generally for the higher pressure requirements um although you know the TLT range have a high pressure axial flow design as well too that can be mounted um which is more efficient in in being mounted over the shaft vertically um if you want a single fan installation over a shaft that's always a nice simple installation mounting an axial straight over the shaft um and why, why is that why is it well with the, it depends on the flow on the pressure the, the ratio of the flow to pressure requirements for the mine so an axial fan will probably be will be better with lower pressure requirements per volume than the centrifugal fan um and then it could also be conditions of air, moisture, gases coming out from under the ground as well too. Sometimes the fans will be drawing air through a water table, in which case the surface fans might be seeing a lot of water content in the shaft. Um, in those situations, the axials will see a lot of, um, are exposed more so to water flow um, and corrosion and erosion of the blades. Mm -hmm. So in that case, you'd put, uh, stainless steel or um, high test cast iron blades into the impeller to minimize the impact on the erosion. Generally, uh, axial fans will have aluminium blades in them, but in the case where they might be seeing a lot of moisture or water through the shaft, then to prevent corrosion and erosion on the, on the blades, you'd put heavier grade material blades in it. Um, if that's a significant concern and adds higher pressures to the operations then centrifugal fans would be another solution for that the ones at St Barbara also see water going through um, through the shafts I believe um, I know down in Kembelda at Victor Long Shaft they have significant water issues they have a water dropout box in the inlet ductwork to try and reduce some of the water that's going through the fan because um, what do, do centrifugal fans perform better underwater when water's with, present, with water. they're more axial. robust. They're more yeah. robust, and and they'll they'll put up with the conditions better. They'll still see blade wear. You know, you'll you'll add blade wear liners to the nose of the blade and along the where the blade 
reaches or is welded to the back plate, you'll have what we call a hockey stick type wear strip, um, and it just pre prevents wear around the blade, um, and they provide a bit of longevity and more robustness. And then again, it's it comes back to the duty application if the pressures are higher uh, for that given type of flow. Um, the centrifugal fans will generally require or will require elbow and inlet duct. If it's a single fan installation, if it's a twin fan installation or a triple, uh, then dampers are required between each of the fans to prevent any short circuiting of airflow if any of the fans are shut down for maintenance or go mm. down for whatever reason. So, yeah, so that's um, why, why do, so you say obviously axials get mounted straight on top of the shaft, but then centrifugals have got that elbow coming out. Why do centrifugals need that elbow coming off the shaft? Well, it's difficult because of the size and the construction of the centrifugals to mount them over the shaft vertically. Because they're a lot the, bigger. It's by, by design. The inlet is 90 degrees to the discharge of the fan in yep. a centrifugal design. It's like a, a bit like a turbo casing. You know, the air comes in through an inlet and then it goes around centrifugally and it's discharged radially to the airflow that comes in. Yep. So a centrifugal is similar to that. So to mount a large casing of that design over a shaft um, is not the norm. Um, I don't even know. I think there may be a couple of very special cases that have been done, but then you have a drive. You've got to provide some drive design for a vertically mounted bearing arrangement, shaft arrangement, motor mounted vertically over the centrifugal fan to drive it as well too. So that becomes uh, – it, it introduces mechanical installation issues. Yeah. So the axial fans are nice and simple to mount over the shaft. They have a good aerodynamic profile. The air comes straight up the shaft, straight into the impeller, straight up through, so there's no change of direction. Every time you change the direction of airflow, there's a loss. Mm. Um, so with an axial fan mounted directly over the shaft, it's nice and simple. That introduces other things too. Sometimes the mine might want redundancy, so they might want to have a, a spare fan in case that goes down and it's critical to operations that they can't afford the fan to go down then they might require a twin axial installation. And if an axial fan is suitable for the application from a flow and performance perspective, flow and pressure, then you'd look at mounting twin axials horizontally. Uh, so as in, as in they're in parallel? In parallel, yeah. correct. Yeah. So then you'd still require a shaft top elbow, um, two ducts, and then two axials mounted into duct work. And then also a damper on each um, in case either of the fans goes down, you can shut the damper off in one fan to prevent short circuiting of so what so the, the dampener is that like a like a gate like what yeah yeah like a shut off gate yeah. to keep it simple it's just like a shut off gate yeah so it restricts the flow because if you've if you've got a two fan installation um, with no dampers and one fan goes down then the second fan is going to draw air through the first fan that goes down rather than drawing it up the shaft so what it is is basically a damper plate that shuts off any air potentially coming back through the discharge of the fan um, into the vent circuit, and that way it ensures ensures that there's still flow coming up the shaft. Yeah. So revisiting our some of I'm sure we talked about this in the first episode axial. So obviously surface um, is I guess it's axial versus centrifugal. Is axial usually a lot cheaper to install than a centrifugal setup? Or it depends on the size and application. Well, if it's a single fan over a shaft, they're quite straightforward installations. Because you, know, uh, you haven't got elbows and bloody everything coming that, off. That's and, right. Yeah. You've got a shaft adapter over the, sh over the shaft collar that will pick up the inlet of the fan size. 
Um, so there's a couple of changes of area there. But then the fans just mounted over the top of the fan shaft, you know, and it, depending on the installation and excluding all the electrics and all the connections, you know, that's, you know, it's normally done inside a week. It's not a, a big installation. When you've got, um, and we'll just stick with axials at the moment. So if you go to a twin axial surface installation, then you've got an elbow that needs to go over the collar. You've got the inlet ducting that needs to go to each of the, the two legs of the elbow and then you've got your dampers that need to go in there and then you've got to install your, your axial fan and your outlet discharge um, all on civils. So there's civil works required for mounting all the fans. So there's quite an extended process for doing an installation like that and that can become quite a significant cost. Compared to centrifugal fans, if you want to do a direct comparison of centrifugal fan to an axial fan for similar motor power, given that they'll have different performance characteristics. So if we're talking about a 450 kilowatt axial versus a 450 kilowatt centrifugal, then you would expect probably the completed centrifugal would be a little bit more expensive than an axial fan if you're just talking about the fan only. Is it what are the civil the I guess the you know the civil works and the elbows and everything is that pretty similar between what you'd have for a, a twin axial versus a wow. centrifugal Civil, setup? Or? Civils are very subjective to site, site conditions, you know. How much they're like, ripping you off? <laughs> well, you know, location, you know, yeah. if it's remote, the further remote it is, the more expensive it is to get there. Is there a, is there a batching plan on site? Isn't there a batching plan on site? Yeah. Um, is there already a civil crew there? You know, if you need to get them there, mobilisation, demob, it's very expensive in, in getting all of that there. And then it's it's all becomes relative to the, you know, geotech studies of where the fan's going to be located, you know, how deep do the footings need to be before we can we get a substantial footing. Taking into consideration there could be anything from 400 to a megawatt or even the two megawatts of uh, kilowatt power sitting on these foundations. So you need, you need to ensure that there's sufficient foundation there in place to make sure that there's going to be a good, um, there's not going to be any vibration issues in, in the equipment because the base is keeping it all in place, so to speak. So there's a lot in, involved in the civils as well, um, as well as, you know, the, getting the footing, design footings right, but make, ensuring there's sufficient mass there to manage the power that's being mounted on top of it. Is that, do many places utilise a twin axial setup not for redundancy? Like, like yeah, as you are saying, they, some people, some mines wanted twin axials purely for, to have a redundant a, a fan in case one one's getting maintenance, you still got one running. Do places it like actually get twin axials installed because they actually need the twin axials running? Absolutely, absolutely. Because you know there'll be lower pressure installations where the axial fan actually provides better efficiencies than running a centrifugal with the same type flow pressure requirements. So it becomes a case of, you know, cost and efficiency to run the axials. Um, and also depends on, you know, it comes back to that other water issue as well too, you know, how much robustness do they need in the design, you know, to put up with underground conditions. Yeah. So, yeah, that sometimes it's more efficient to go, you know, if it's a lower pressure application for the given volume, then it's more efficient to run a couple of axials for that installation as well too without the need for redundancy. Um, so they're, becomes, they're more in your high flow, like when you like you got your lower pressure, but you need a high flow, like a, a bigger model yeah, with lower pressure. Axials, axials have the, uh, a benefit of being able to 
change the characteristics of the design by changing the hub diameter of the of the selection. So it, once you know the flow and the pressure, you can select select the axial um, with the oh, optimum hub ratio. So so that we talked about that the first time. So the hub diameter is the the diameter of what the what the blades are connected to. That, yeah, the guts diameter of the guts. E exactly the spinny bit. Yeah. So the 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 annulus area or the blade area. Um, as that gets smaller, then the pressures can be uh, higher. You can, the axials can generate a higher pressure for a similar volume. So you can change a hub ratio to, to get varying performance. You can change a blade pitch angle, and then you can change your speeds as well too. So there's a lot of um, flexibility in axial designs over centrifugals, whereas centrifugal might only be um, vein control and, and speed. So um, they're, they're very... Um, not as flexible as an axial. Yeah, you fare. can't tweak the impeller. Um, you can retrofit other impellers. You know, you, there's, there's programs that are around most of the major or the premium fan suppliers now have technology where they can design or retrofit various impellers into a given fan size. So, you know, if you're looking at upgrading down the track, you've got an old fan, you want to increase the efficiency and the performance, then by programming in all of the casing designs from the original supply you can start tweaking impeller designs if duties or mine resistances change for whatever reason you can tweak and change impellers down the track it's not not as easy and as flexible as changing axial impellers generally and, and motor configurations um, one of the other benefits also too just thinking about it is with the, your twin axial fan on the on the surface sometimes it's easy you know if you've you can pull one casing out, leave the infrastructure in place, but just pull the fan section out and drop another fan section in if you need to. So if there's a duty change or a complete revision to the site, you can utilise the existing infrastructure most mm. of the time, but just change the fan itself. Yeah. Put more power in there or, or, you know, gives you an opportunity to rebuild and tweak that. There's a little bit more flexibility in the design with the axials as well. Yeah. with When... Before we move on to underground booster side of things, uh, you're talking about high pressure axial fans that are, I guess, available now to, I guess, be a, I guess, compete or be another option towards uh, against centrifugal fans. Is that these high pressure axial fans? Are they? Is that all just come from optimising your, your hub ratio and, and that side of things? What's what's the new technology there that's exactly. creating there's that? A, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of the blade profile design, which is fan engineering 101, which is, you know, first principles probably is a better word for it, where you've got these real these gurus with plenty of letters after their name. They've they got the F-A-N. That's the one, yeah. Name. Yeah. Um, and they they actually can it's like designing the aeroplane wing you know the lift the, the height and the ratio aspect of the cord length versus the thickness of the blade versus the the nose angle and all of that sort of stuff comes into the play and they can tweak that design to optimize um, higher pressures combined with hub ratio um, and then there's straightener veins and profiles within the on the downstream side of the impeller as well too which affect the performance of the impeller and the efficiency of the fan um, the straightener veins will reduce the swirl from the impeller and any reduction in swirl and turbulence is an increase in efficiency. How, how long are these, you know, the, the, it, has this been continually evolving, the 
I guess the performance and pressure requirements of axial fans with all this this tweaking. Yeah, I think uh, all all the competitors and all the fan manufacturers are always looking at ways to try and get increases in efficiency um, over everybody else. <coughs> um, and and you know, and efficiency is becoming more and more important. I know, you know, when I was first started getting involved with the sales side of it, how um, efficiencies were being considered because of the cost of power on a lot of the remote sites. You know, and if you could save two kilowatts out of a 400 kilowatt fan operation that's two kilowatts per kilowatt hour at mm. 27 to 30 cents a, you know a kilowatt hour you know and it didn't take long for uh, a number of fans running more efficiently at two kilowatts an hour to start saving significant amounts of money on the site mm. um you know in the old days i've lost jobs on on, on that you know on minimal amounts of efficiency you know um it's just about, you know, making sure that the client's getting all the good information as well too, um, that, you know, he can make that evaluation and efficiency. It's going to be interesting now that, you know, that uh, I suppose at some point in the future there's going to be less and less diesel-generated power on site with solar mm. and wind sources and, you know, you know, the industry starting to look at new means and sustainability <coughs> of generating power on site. So I suspect it'd still be critical you know because uh, to keeping the power and the efficiencies of the fans um as high as possible um well I mean, and it, it'll be interesting to see when you're you're as you said you remove the diesel equipment both for fumes and heat remove if you remove a big portion of that the actual flow requirements that will require both primary and secondary you'd, you'd assume will reduce significantly and um, like you know, you'll have cooler mines, and you won't. You, we won't be coughing up as much black, bloody black phlegm yeah, the whole time. Yeah. But it, um, I think I was talking to Steve Durkett actually from SafeScape, and he said he was at a he was at a fully electric mine, and it was just the difference was just unbelievable. You're not coughing up stuff. You don't. It's just not nowhere near as hot. You haven't got all the diesel equipment generating the heat and said it was just yeah. unbelievable, really, really noticeable difference. Yeah, yeah. There's still, you know, heat generated in, in electrical equipment, but I'm not sure. But you're right. The the ventilation guys would know better than me. But certainly the, the requirements for removing diesel particulate um, and and certain amount of heat will have been reduced. Um, you still have dust and explosion fumes and, and clearing times and all that sort of stuff required. But... Um, there'll be, there's, there's, you know, plenty of change coming, um, in that space. It can be interesting to see. There'll still be requirement for ventilation for guys underground as well. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a mining engineer and I don't know how to do any mine design or ventilate, uh, you know, do ventilation design. So I'm not sure exactly what the impact will be at this point, only that there'll be changes to how we ventilate underground. Because of the the heat and the diesel reduction. Well, I think the big thing will be the we'll get on to secondary fans later, but the, the variable speed technology is that that'll be the big ticket, I reckon. But just pure, like as you said, for power base, if you if you because obviously you need maximum ventilation to for re-entries when we fire because you've got to get the bloody fumes out as quick as you can to get everyone back to work. But minimising the amount of ventilation we need during the shift. 
that's where the like massive cost savings come in. I think that's going to be the big, the big ticket item: variable speed in secondary ventilation. It is massive it is. cost savings, and I think yeah, and I think uh, there's two things there. But with regards to cost saving, um, it's been reported that a lot of mine sites are in the order of sixty to seventy percent power usage is just in ventilation. Ventilation, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is a big number. Mm. Um, and then when you look at, you know, the vis- the variable speed, just getting back onto your variable speed drive technology underground now, which is very interesting space and being able to control then underground, is um, I think a lot of education, uh, and this is with respect, of course, to the mining industry, but they need to be educated on actually the operational side of it and how to make that work for the best for the, the owners, you know, to get their best, bang for buck mm. um i think you know historically fans would just be secondary fans would just be turned on left on and the way they go and at 100 percent, yeah yeah mm. and you know there's various thoughts and um processes on how mines are starting to manage that now they're starting to get a lot smarter with electrical controls and turning fans off if no one's in that region anymore and you know and they only turn them on when they need to so they get starting to get smarter with um how to manage the fans underground. Well, there's a, we've, done a, we've done a bloody YouTube video on it. Uh, there's, where is it? If you type in, let's say, variable speed, <laughs> we are with the MIE fellas, variable speed ventilation. Let's see if I can bloody find myself on YouTube, MIE. But, yeah, the, the very- variable speed VSD technology, secondary ventilation, underground mining. Check out that YouTube video, everyone. That'll... Uh, Explain what we're actually talking about because we actually looked at the sun like literally a twenty percent or something like twenty or thirty percent reduction in the fan speed was a sixty percent like half the cost of power consumption. It was like a square, like a a cubed. It's yeah, a cubed, cubed relationship. relationship. So every for um, every you know every change in the speed that you make, every reducing change, the power comes down to the cube of the change. Yeah. So, yeah, so when you speed it up by 10%, your power goes up by 33%, which is crazy. Yeah. So, um, tweaks in, in speed and requirement and ventilation and fan speed power, power usage is, is going to save power pretty quickly. Variable speed drive technology underground um, has been a challenge for the industry for some time, particularly at 1,000 volts because your heat your dust conditions, the variable speed drives don't like that. They're sort of the, they're a little bit precious about where they need to be installed. But the technology is improving all the time. Um, you know, the the electrical guys are starting to look at alternative ways to do that and address that because of the importance of being able to provide variable speed drives underground. So, and, and the way that technology is going around the world, those drives will get better and better and better. So they'll need to be at some point some swing shift, and I think at the moment pricing for any of them that are, are reliable or can be used, the pricing is um, a little high, but the savings that come back to it are benefit beneficial in being able to control the fans. But then, you know, you, like I said, you, the guys underground have got to be understand a little bit more about being able to control the fans a little bit more effectively as well too. No point putting a variable speed drive on it if you're just going to leave it there running it at the mm, exactly, exactly, yeah. So, but the, the whole industry is changing, you know. I see, um, you know, without mentioning names, I suppose it's 
fair enough to mention it. You know, Bellevue have been saying that they're looking at this green space. They're, they're going to be proactive about moving into that sector where, you know, a lot of the minds now are starting to talk about it and see the importance of it, I think, quicker than the government is sometimes. Well, and you look at Agni. Well, well it's at Agni. They've got the, the wind turbine and solar farm and um, hybrid bloody gas power station. Well, I think they're nearly up to, I think at some points they can be, oh, geez, don't quite, I'll pull, hey, I, can, I can say whatever figures I want, but I'm pretty sure they, they can get up to 60% renewable power source on site that's, that's, unbe that's unbelievable that's pretty cool yeah, that's know? a bit that's a pretty big site yeah like, you know a, and you know <laughs> you see the, the the government you know talking about going green and electric vehicles and you know what we're doing about our carbon emissions um i think the mining industry particularly over here in wa is is leading the way mm. you know the rest of the country should be looking at hydrogen is where it's at hydrogen is the key hydrogen. i've been told yeah, no, but you know you need battery nickel for batteries as well mm. too. So yeah, that's an interesting space, you know, with nickel and the next few years with EV or electric vehicles yeah. coming up and nickel and there's plenty of interest. Yeah, uh, here and you know we're in the box seat over here in regards to that. So all, all where it's at, mate. If you can get a hydrogen powered vent fan, that'll be <laughs> that is the point of difference. The TLT turbo hydrogen. Well, fan. you still need. You still need an electric motor as part of the construction of the fan, but it's powered by hydrogen technology. Just chuck a bit of bloody 63mm poly from the surface feed and a bit of hydrogen into a fan. <laughs> I can just see it already. Piece of cake, mate. <laughs> now, mi mixed flow fans. Mixed flow fans. What the is hell is a mixed flow fan? A mixed flow fan is a, um, to explain to the listeners, um, it, it's a fabricated impeller similar to um, a centrifugal fabrication um but the air would flow it's not strictly a, an axial impeller by design the air will come in through the inlet and it goes around the centrifugal housing and then it's dispelled on the same axis that it comes in so for all intention so no elbow no elbow like a centri yeah so you know like an axial fan it's got a, a like a propeller type impeller in it the air comes in the front side of the impeller and goes out the back side of the impeller. In a mixed flow fan, the air comes into the front side of the impeller and it goes out the back side of the impeller, but it's turned through 90 degrees. It goes through a centrifugal action. So the efficiencies uh, can be quite reduced because of the number of changes, the change of air direction within the fan. So every time you're changing the, the direction of airflow, there's turbulence, there's loss, there's an impact on efficiency there. So... For some designs, the mixed flow fan won't have best efficiencies, but it might provide the pressure rise that you're looking at for the flow requirement that you need as well too. So when when would you use a mixed flow fan? Um, I believe I don't have a lot of experience with mixed flow fans, but they use quite significantly a lot in, in power stations as well too, where you can turn down um, guide vanes on them as well too. So they have mechanical vane control. Yeah, rather, right, rather yeah. than through speed control. You can control mixed flow fans with a speed drive as well too. They're like a centrifugal fan. You can turn them up, turn them down. You can turn anything that's got an electric motor on it up and down with a variable speed drive. Um, but there's also, if you don't want to connect it to a variable speed drive, they've got mechanical inlet vane control, which as you would with a centrifugal fan as well too, which changes the the curve profile. Um it's a bit hard to do without 
visuals, but it changes the curve profile um, of the fan performance. Um, if your mine system resistance or the mine design, um, the system resistance is the flow pressure requirement for the mine underground. And if you don't need so much flow, then you can turn the fan back by vane control. But what it does is, it, because it changes the profile of the fan, it moves the curve and the efficiency zone, if you will, um, while you're changing the performance. And then the efficiency zone that the system line hits might not be in the same zone. Might be getting a bit technical now. But with the speed control, the curve profile comes down the system line. So your efficiency zone's always in the same spot. You turn your flow and your pressure down, but you're still in the high efficiency zone. So variable speed drives were more effective in that you can change performance, but still keep the fan in the highest efficiency zone or the operating condition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right? So not only do you save power by turning the flow down, because you save power because you're not going so much air through it, it's still going through the sweet spot in the fan. So you're still maximising the efficiency of the fan. Whereas vane control, you turn the flow down, so your power comes down, but you've changed the characteristics of the curve and it puts it into a higher, a poorer efficiency zone. So you could be getting a little bit more savings out of it if you were on a speed control just coming down the, yeah, the thing. Yeah. So there's benefits in speed control. I know in the glass industry they like to use uh, both a combination of variable speed drives and vane control because the process required for blowing and manufacturing glass requires that they need to change the flow but maintain the pressure. And you can oh, yeah. only do that through vane control, not through speed control. Yeah. All right. So the vane control changes the the profile of the curve and still maintains pressure while you can still reduce the flow. So there's benefits for both sides of the camp. Um, but, yeah. What about, here's, here's one for you. Mm. Can you use a secondary fan as a primary fan? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Most, Are we getting into agricultural yeah, territory yeah, yeah. now? You've seen some, I'm sure you've seen some agricultural <laughs> solutions, uh, surface fan installation with four secondaries over a top of a plate, Yeah, which is, uh, which is yeah, I've seen that before. Look, it works. <laughs> um, <sighs> or just. Yeah. Theoretically and in practice, no. Um, there's a, there's, an effect called a Hagen line effect. Um, once you put three or more fans in parallel, and it depends on the system line or the the, the performance that the, the the whole ventilation needs to provide, the van fan package needs to provide, is that the third and the fourth fan, or even the fifth fan, or whatever, start to go into stall conditions because of the Hagen line effect. And if the fans aren't, um ramped up or, or controlled on a variable speed drive and all ramp up at the same speed together, then there's a possibility that one or more of those fans can drop in and be affected by this Hagen line effect and put the fan in stall. So... Because what, what's the Hagen line effect? Is that saying like, like the first, there's always two fans will preferentially take all the air and the others will stall? Is that something like that? That's the simplified version of it, yes, right? Uh, for for you know for your your jumbo mates that are listening online, yeah, it it, it starts to start from the other fans. It's not as simple as well. This fan provides me with, let's say a a fifty five cubic meter fan will give you twenty five to twenty eight cubes. Um, 
if we put four of them together, it'll give us nearly 100. Mm. It's not the summation of the four fans that will give you that performance. Um, it does have an impact. It, you know, you can get increased flow, but it won't give you the summation of them. And then once you get three or more, there's a risk that fans will go into stall and be in unstable conditions. Um, I see, you know, there's a lot of people that do that because sometimes they don't have either the capital, and I get it, you know, like there's a lot of mines that are developing and growing and they don't have capital to put primary fan installations in place, but they've got, you know, four secondary fans in the yard that they mm. don't need. Um, let's just put them in a plate and put them over the top. And, and you know, it, it gets them out of trouble at the time. It's not efficient. You know, it's not very efficient at all most of the time. The power, the pressure requirements for those types of installations are very low compared to what the secondary fan will develop. So the 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 fan <coughs> the fans operate operating in very poor efficiency zones and burning a whole lot of power for the same volume that they could be putting a, a more optimum selection over the shaft. So yeah, interesting that. That subject, you know, there's a lot of uh, pros and cons, you know, the economics of it, say, yeah, let's do it. Um, the performance aspect of it is poor, poor design, poor operation, poor efficiency. Um, but the simplicity of being able to keep guys going is is one, one way out of it. And then you can do the same with the, you know, it doesn't necessarily need to be uh, fans over a shaft. It can be four three, four fans mounted in a bulkhead underground to do the same thing. Mm. Right. So, so now we're and now perfect segue into underground booster installations. Yeah. So we're I guess you would call like a an underground booster's like a you're you're halfway between a primary and a secondary in a way, aren't you? Well it, it, it's technically a primary. It's, it's assisting the, the primary circuit. That's right. It's a part of the primary circuit. Sometimes mm. I'll go in there primarily as the only as the main vent for the the mine yeah because there's no you know like there might be installation uh, requirements for um, not being able to mount the fan on the surface you know there might be some of the mines are, are located on the east coast are located close to uh, residencies so noise is an issue so they'll have fans underground because they don't want noise emissions on the surface to be going around to any of the houses in the region, so they'll mount the fans underground. Um, they become primary vent fans un located underground. Then there's primary fans on the surface that need some pressure assistance in getting through the complete circuit, mine vent circuit, so they'll mount fans in bulkheads underground to assist in being able to get the flow at the higher pressures through the, the vent circuit. So when, when you put, because oh, oh, I was the, actually the first mine I worked at, they put some booster fans underground. Um, do the so once you put those booster fans in, do those booster fans, whatever flow that those booster fans uh, generate, that becomes the flow of the mine, and then the primary on the surface just helps get the air out. Is that is that how, essentially how it works? Because that becomes the They'll, determining factor of it, what flow you get, or it, do they assist? They'll be a part of what the the surface fan ventilation requirements are. All right, so it just depends on where this is coming in more into the mine vent design. Sometimes the booster fans will be similar volumes to the fan that's on the surface because they're on the same circuit, and the booster fans are only assisting in getting extra pressure rise 
because the mine's going deeper. Mm. Then there might be a requirement for booster fans to provide some of the primary air to another location or another ore body that's being mound, uh, mined at another location underground, but still in the same vent circuit. Yeah. All right. So a booster fan might assist in directing some of the primary vent circuit to another part of the, the mine if there's a second ore body being accessed from the same vent circuit. So there's it can be used two ways there. You generally probably need to speak to one of the vent mine mine vendor mm. officers and the mining engineers to give you a bit more background on that. Yeah, because I know the case where I've seen them installed, like we're, we're obviously going deeper. So every level you went deeper, you were you were, you were losing vent in a way. Like you, you just you were just losing that little bit each level. It was getting bloody hot, and um, so they ended up putting these underground boosters in to just I guess help the whole help yeah. that primary because the primary fan just started becoming. I assume in a more in every level you went down, it become less more straining on the primary fan on the surface. So the boosters were the solution to mitigate that factor. Yeah, sometimes it's not the boosters fans don't necessarily provide more flow, but they provide they assist the primary fan with pressure because your mind's gone deeper. Yeah, what what's the um, I guess pros and cons of having booster fans installed? underground as your as your primary fan so like there's no primary fan on the surface so you essentially you've got your primary fan underground or boost fans underground that are pushing it out the return airway to the yep. surface what's the pros and cons of having that sometimes uh, uh, noise like sometimes noise is an issue on the surface so it's better off having the fans underground um, so a lot of the noise, although noise will travel up the shaft, it'll be diminished by the time it gets to the, the shaft and potentially to any residences that are on the boundary of the mine. Mm. Um, another reason is depending on the water table. If some mines have a significant water table and they're drawing um, water through the shaft that they can't control or there's no way of mitigating, then having the fans underground means that they don't have to operate through a water table. Mm. So it protects the, the, the fan from any... Corrosion, erosion oh, as well. Yep, yep. Um, it can be argued, and there's pros and cons also about, you know, maintaining fans underground versus maintaining fans on the surface. Um, it just depends on the infrastructure facilities, access to the fans on the ground, whether there's, you know, the, the niche and wherever the fans are located is large enough to be able to access them easily if they need maintenance or changeover or whatever, you know. Because we know it's get, getting equipment in and out from underground is can be quite a an exercise rather than having a fan on the surface. So there's pros and cons about um, how you can mount it. Depends on how big the installation is, how much power you, you've got underground and access to power, and then there's heat underground. Um, I might use this as an opportunity to touch on coal as well too, because the coal industry do, uh, you know, it's it's a different beast. Um, all of the fans and, and, and booster, we've, there's been the companies that i worked for in the past have had some special booster applications go into coal mines, and they can be quite tricky because you've got EXD and flame-proof rated mm. equipment underground, which needs to be legislated in accordance with all the guidelines and so forth with, with coal operations. So all the electrical work will generally be on the fresh air side um, and then on the downstream side, on the return side, um, you'll have all the mechanical side of the supplies. So the bulkheads are designed significantly different 
in that arrangement. You know, we've we've had installations there with that. Axial fans generally don't get used um, in coal mines underground because of um, construction methods and the requirements for not having motors in the airflow and um, providing EXD motors and, uh, and all sorts of things. What's EXD stand for? Explosive. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a designation for explosion ratings on the motoring on the motors and temperature ratings on the motors. Yeah, one hundred and fifty C is um, has a, a a limit for protection of under equipment underground. I think it's one hundred and fifty C. Yeah, and it's all certified for operation in in those conditions. Um, and the auxiliary fans underground in coal mines are quite different as well too. They're on skids and they're quite big and they're centrifugal fans and. Um, so, and then there's a requirement for having so much, it's going back a few years now, there's a requirement for having so much air, primary airflow over the fan. I think it's about three, three to five percent or three to five cubic meters a second. Three to five rings a number. It's been a while. Um, of air going over the fan that it's of the amount of air that it's drawing. So, so, that's, so, so it keeps cool. Yeah, so it prevents recirculation within that section of the mine as well too and all of that sort of requirement. So there's a lot of things that require in in coal, which is quite interesting. Centrifugals are generally used underground there because the the pressures, uh, the impeller design, the robustness and the um, keeping the electrics out of the airflow, the motor and out of the airflow. Is that why the pressures? Because coal coal mines are generally... Shallower than our underground men- metalliferous, is it just because they're so massive and widespread? Their pressures are higher. Um, yeah, the ceiling heights at some of the coal mines sometimes are only two and a half meters. Oh, and that that result that give yeah you know pressure requirement so there. it's yeah coal coal is completely different mm. animal to metalliferous mines. Um, interesting to see where that's going to go in the next few years, though, isn't it? Oh, it'd be yeah, tough to replace it. Like yeah, it's yeah, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? There'll always be a little bit, I think, to it'll yeah, unless there's something yeah, it's gonna be a big thing to all these all these people that bloody wank on about it and say how bad coal is, they're sitting there with their bloody mobile phones and everything that all they they, they need they need the power to do their bloody whinging on TV. And it's got to come from somewhere. So it's um, yeah, the world's changing. Who knows? Who knows? God, we could bloody don't get us going about that. <laughs> um, now back to the booster fans. Yep. What is the? Uh, is there any? I guess disadvantage associating associated with um, expelling all the return air out of a long return air shaft. Like so, you've got your booster fan underground, and that's got a. Um, exhaust all that air push all that air up a, a vent shaft to the surface does that result in any efficiency loss um, flow no, loss or anything no i'm not sure compared to having um, that's probably something you need to ask the mine designers more about you know the ventilation circuit about that side of it but um, is that is that any different to having like a um having it on the surface and just going out a normal no, well, the, the losses, there's a there's a loss on the discharge of the fan that needs to be considered when you're selecting the fan. Yeah. Um, you know, there's pressure for drawing the air through the bottom part of the mine and then there's a pressure loss on the discharge side that it needs to overcome 
for the air that it's moving up the up the shaft. Um, whereas in a primary fan installation, it's only discharging to atmosphere, in which case you'd only take into account uh, the loss at the outlet of the fan because there's a change of area between the discharge and the atmosphere. There's an outlet loss that needs to be considered in the part of the selection as well too. So, um, yeah, no, other than allowing for the outlet loss, I'm going to boost the fan underground um, for the shaft losses. Um, there's no other really consideration that needs to be taken into a place for that. But then the mine vent design guys will stipulate those sorts of losses to to the fan suppliers and say, well, you know, we need a fan that needs to do this pressure. It's going to be located in this location. Um, it'll be underground. There'll be impact on density, you know, because density will be different underground, temperature um, and that sort of condition. And that all needs to be considered when you're selecting the fan as well too. What? The higher the, the density. So if you're on the surface and you use a standard density, 1.2 kilograms per cubic meter which is generally 20 degrees c standard conditions um and then you go underground and the conditions might be 1.1 1.15 kilograms per cubic meter so the densities come down a little bit which reduces your pressure because the pressure is reduced by the density and your power will be reduced by the density so your fan selections if you still want the flow then and, and pressure requirements, then you need to take the density factor in consideration to make sure that you're still getting that pressure because the air is not so dense. Yeah. So there's all those sorts of calculations that come into play as well. What about the bulkhead installation for the underground boosters? Um, I guess, like, you know, energy or air losses if it's not, like, sealed correctly. What What's the... Give us an overview of having a like the correct bulkhead installation. For oh, there's variations boosters. of it. You can have the fan on the downstream side, the fan on the upstream side. Depends on access and where the fan's located in relation to the raise bore, um, and and the accessibility to that location from the mine. Um, some of them have a, a manlock uh, uh, air, air door in them, like a um, gone blank. Yeah, like air, a, you know, yeah, airlock yeah. door, yeah. two door arrangement, so people can tra move through the the bulkhead. Um, yeah, geez, don't bloody get yourself wedged in between one of them bloody things because no. they got some pressure bond. Yeah, so uh, it, it just depends on the mine design where the the raised bore is located. Um, generally, the you know the the fan will be supplying to the raised bore, so it's easy to have the fan on the. Um, inlet side of the bulkhead and you've got good access to the fan you can access and you can see what's happening um, with the fan and you can have all your maintenance and aspect and the fan operational equipment on that side on the on the intake side and then you're just discharging through the through the raised bore side which is protected so um, with, with, the, the, with from the, access by the bulkhead yeah so with the bulkhead like they like, let's say you've got a, a shot created bulkhead mm -hmm. for instance or is it is it Bloody imperative to have that perfectly sealed so you're not getting is there is it easy to get recirculation in an underground booster back through that bulkhead or is it not, uh, not, yeah, not an issue? Yeah, no, though you'll get recirculation through there, but as to the percentages of it or the impact on the total vent circuit, I don't I, don't, I can't really comment on that. Mm -hmm. um, the mine design ventilation design guys will know better and have a better appreciation of leakage across bulkheads and, and the implication on the fans that it has. 
But yeah, you you want to go for a situation where you minimised any leakage through through the bulkhead for the operation. You know, the bulkheads are have a fabricated frame generally, and then they shot creep the frame and put a bulkhead adapter so that the fan can bolt easily to it and minimise any leakage. It's always good to have inspections and checks on your fan connections. You know, your your, your rubber uh, flexible connections, and make sure that they're always in reasonable condition and there's no opportunity for leakage across them. Um, sometimes, you know, once fans get put in, they, they set and forget, don't they? They turn them on, leave them on, walk away, and they forget all about them. Um, but they need a little bit of love sometimes and check on them and see how they're going. Do they, like, how often do you need to, like, grease a fan? Um, just they- a bit. The motors, it depends on the bearing specifications, the bearing loads, bearing life requirement. Do they have um, automated greasing setups or they're actually going to be manually greased? No, you can get automated, you know, SKF and the bearing suppliers have automated um, canisters that you can mount, which you pre-program um, the amount of grease and the time frames which, is, which they're purged. Yep. Uh, over-greasing bearings can overheat bearings as well too and be just as much damage as under-greasing bearings. Oh, right. So it's careful, you know, it's always um, pertinent to check on um, your lubrication cycles, sometimes even using different grease as well too is a trap. Um, some bearings may require different grease because in, in particularly in the case of high-temperature bearings, they have um, bigger clearances within the race um, and they'll have different greases in them as well too and they all impact on on the life of the bearing and the operation of the bearing as well too. So it's important always to read the manuals in relation to greasing and, and try and adhere to lubrication cycles to give you the best life of the bearings too. I think and secondary fans sort of one of those fans that they forget about too, isn't it? Mm. They generally put them up on the back and um, turn them on and set and forget. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think the only thing, most times the only thing that goes wrong with them is motor. Motors go down, I think, from what I understand, because they just run them until they don't run anymore. Unless something goes through them or some piece of equipment takes them off the back of the yeah, well, top. Yeah, or your truck, your truck brings <laughs> it out on the back of their tub. Yeah. Seen that happen. Do they, um, like, do they need greasing as well? Have they got automated grease setups? Or they generally don't rarely- have automated grease setups. Most fans will have um, a greasing manifold or grease nipples mounted um, on the outside of the fan casing in the case of an axial uh, with lubrication instructions somewhere. Um, and centrifugal fans generally have bearings that are, uh, you know, easily accessible or will, will be, you know, will have grease lines to a, a greasing manifold uh, where they can be easily get to if they're surface fan installations or whatever, where the maintenance guys can go around and, and, and check them. But greasing's Im- important in the in the life of the motor and, and the bearings. And sometimes simple things like that, you know, keeps fans running a little bit longer and minimises the need for doesn't hurt to, you know, when the fans are stopped every now and then too, is to poke your head in and have a look at them and see what mm. they look like. Yeah. You know, take some, if you're not sure, take some photos and send them to me or to the supplier and say, listen, you know, I've stuck my head in the fan. It looks like this at the moment. How do, what, you know, any feedback, you know. And it all will be, it can be, it's only based on visual information without doing a full site assessment. You can't ascertain on it. Because the other thing that comes into play too is fatigue, you know. And it's the same whether it's a fan, whether it's a car, whether it's a jumbo, whether it's any piece of equipment, you know. They fatigue, constant use, metal fatigues, mm. blades fatigue. Um, so it's always hard to comment 
visually on what the fatigue life might be on any piece of equipment, but visual wear, erosion, corrosion, um, you know, can give us some indication on whether the fan might be losing performance, whether it's going to lose reliability, um, preventative maintenance, you know, oh, geez, that's starting to look a bit ordinary. Maybe you need to make sure you've got a plan in place if, if the blades are worn through or whatever. Uh, centrifugal fans have a tendency of the noses wearing if you don't have any wear lines on them. And um, when, you know, a bit of water or dust gets into an aerofoil section on a centrifugal blade, um, then the fan will run out of balance and you can never balance it because it's always got a little bit of moving weight inside the blade that's going <coughs> to be a trick to, to try and balance on the run all the time. So, you know, you might want to have a changeover or a contingency in place for scenarios like that. So, you know, even if you're not familiar with it, most of the guys in the field have some mechanical background or some mechanical appreciation and take some photos and send them through and we can at least provide some indication on you know, whether it needs a secondary or a side inspection or, you know, make some comment on providing some increased reliability moving forward. Most of these guys generally can't afford the fans to go down. Mm. So yeah, it doesn't so hurt no, when, it's, when it's down. Put your head in, have a look and take a couple of photos if you're unsure about it. and Send, send it to the fan man, send the fan mark. Absolutely. Now, booster fans, are they any... Is a booster fan any different to a primary or a secondary fan? Like, say, like an axial booster fan, is it just essentially the fan component of a primary fan flipped on its side? They're all the same design, um, just- and, and they're all selected for the pressure and the flow requirement. Yeah. All right? Um, and sometimes, you know- So, that's a, like when a booster fan is just, no, it's just a boost. It's called that because it's just being used to boost underground. It's the exact same type of fan. Exactly. It's mm. it's the name of the application, not the name of the fan, yep. if that makes sense. Mm. Uh, the application is a booster in the primary circuit, and it's still, you know, sometimes a booster fan could be, um, and in the case of the coal mines, it's a, sec- a centrifugal fan. Yep. Whereas in- the metalliferous industry, it's generally, um, in most cases, an axial fan used underground because they're simple to install underground most of the time. Yeah. Um, and and it meets the pressure flow requirements that you need for underground applications. Right. We'll finish on secondary fans. Probably not as much of a, um, it's, as you said, just chuck them up there, turn them on, set and forget sort of thing. Um you much up on the, I guess, the new technology out there, new systems out there now of actually installing secondary fans without personnel, the the, the clip-in setups? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to bring myself up to speed on that because there's a few players in the market um, and with, you know, my secondary fan products coming shortly, um, I want to make sure that, you know, my kit fits on these these people's um, lifting rigs as well too. But it certainly looks interesting compared, you know, I don't get involved with the mining operations, so I don't really know what's involved in mounting a secondary fan on the back. But it can't be easy in the the old um, method. Oh, and it's it's the the pinch points and bloody the personnel, like, up there and squeezing themselves in. And it's um, it's always a, yeah, I think think they've got it pretty down pat. 
these days with the the fan stage setups they got but they're you know they've got to be up there anchored on and you've got to really trust that the personnel are doing the right thing as well yeah in the uh, old days they were just chained weren't they to rock bolts and the from no the it was just eye bolts like they drill a drill a pinhole and put bloody eye bolts in the same that we anchor our jumbo cable on and have them sort of crisscrossed and that's what they hung off so now we've got to bloody mount these bloody plates what's it what's secondary fan way What's the weight of a second? Uh, it depends fan? on the size, how many stages. Like, what's a, but what's you're a in the order of kilowatt? Four, probably four to six ton, depending on the fan arrangement. So we're, we're putting like bloody, like you can be putting up to bloody 10 split sets, 2.4 bloody, or oh, even stiffy bolts uh, into these things. So, and they're, what are they? They're like, you know, well, split sets, bloody 10 ton of weight, and you're putting 10 of them. So you got about, you got about bloody well over 100 ton of, um, bolting capacity to hold up a four-ton fan it's um yeah but there's a safety requirement oh, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a safety factor oh required. there's a bloody big safety factor because because it, it's not yeah you know six six ton fan hanging over your head and it's mm, oh yeah it's very spinning over. at um, there's a big factor 1400 rpm yeah, with yeah. you know 200 kilowatts sitting in it it's, yeah yeah, no, they're, they're, we're definitely um, – they're, they're not falling down these days, trust <laughs> no, me. No, it's no. impossible. Probably, no. The only reason they probably fell down before is because they didn't do the bloody shackle up so correctly. So, just for my benefit then, in the old days, if you had to chain one up, how long would it take for the, the guys to put one up? Oh, bugger all. Like, but Because like, they used to do it out of, like, bogger buckets. Um, so, you can obviously see the problem there. So, they'd, they'd – I think uh, I I haven't done one this way because I'm I'm not I wasn't there in the old days. But right. My understanding was they'd um, chuck a bit of dirt in the bucket, then they'd sit the fan on top of the bogger bucket. Right. And then people would stand next to it um, and get li lifted up in the bogger bucket. Oh, so they'd have pre-installed. They'd I've got drill this, the holes. Got this mental picture of mm. what it would look like. So they drill holes up in the backs, and then they'd install the eye bolts up there. And they just yeah run the chain underneath so they'd they'd be the eye bolts would be yeah angled yeah. outwards yeah and then so they'd obviously and then yeah they'd just um, run chain underneath like a bloody like like a belly chain so would it be would would it be fair to say that change would be done in a shift that you could locate a fan in a shift oh easily yeah yeah easily yeah. and with the new tech how well I think the new techs um like with the fan stages and everything they still oh. Yeah, guys, put them up within the hour, sort of thing. Once they they get it, because they just the everything's the so obviously the jumbo like we install the fan bracket right um, in the back. So we'll yeah. they'll say we need a fan here, so we'll bolt the fan the fan plate to the yep. to the backs. Yep. So then it's ready to go. So then the obviously the the riggers and everything. So where I work, they have to have like a dogman rigger yep. ticket. So they'll um, they've got like a fan stage now, which is like a big bloody massive. They sit the fan on, and it's got like uh, working platforms and anchor points and everything, so personnel can go on. Sit the fan on top of that, ratchet strap it on there. So and then an IT will, will take the fan down, and then you obviously your fan man, which is the fan, the guy that hangs the fans, might be one or two of them. They'll right. get on the platform. Obviously, you got the driver of the IT. They'll elevate them up, and then they'll they've got all their rated chain and shackles and everything that, and then they'll just clip the fan to the fan start the fan plate that's been installed. Right. Okay. So whilst working on, they'll be standing on the platform, anchored off, harnessed, um, 
but then it's just like it's i think it's more the cases when you say you got two secondary fans you're running two secondary fans in the one decline so they're like they could be right next to each other you got right. one on the left one on the right that's where you obviously the where you get the pinch points coming in like depending on the profile of the drive they're you're exposing exposing the bloody personnel to so they've got to be obviously very careful and especially when they the most dangerous part of hanging the fan is when they've got it clipped on and then you take the weight off and that's when the fan can swing yeah that's the that's the most uh dangerous part of the process has it oh, i won't say dangerous hazardous yeah, yeah 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 has to be controlled so um obviously the new tech that's coming out with the where they can just essentially have it on and it like those click-in systems you're just taking away the personnel I'm a, I'm a big fan of that. Yeah, no, say. that's good. That's been a great improvement into in the process. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're, they're just touching on the performance of the secondary fan, they're all subject to what's connected to it. Um, and I'm getting to the vent bag, mm. you know, and vent bag. I don't know a lot about. What the suppliers spruik the vent bag suppliers spruik about you know longevity condition and all the rest of it, but you know there's a frictional resistance loss that's applied by vent bag, um, and by the length that you apply the vent bag, but it's also the condition of it as well too. Oh mate, if it's got holes in it, it's uh yeah. So I'll I'll defend us poor jumbo operators here because we are <laughs> held to where there's a bit of another fan word pressure on us because if we are say say if we're two hundred oh say if we're five hundred mil too high in our development we're getting in trouble for overbreak right because it's uh, taken too much after bog too much more dirt out and put more ground support up and yada yada so we're getting fisted for that. But then if we're literally 200 mil too low, that's when, uh, even though they're taking less dirt out, that's when you put your vent bag up, all the trucks and yeah. everything, they're going to be scraping it all the time. There's going to be holes in it all the time. It's a very fine line that we've got to try and, yeah, you never want to be too low. Like, that's the thing. You might get in trouble for overbreak, but your vent bag never gets bloody hit. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially in your loading pockets and everything. Um yeah, I've never heard a bogger operator say there's too much room in here. <laughs> but, um, yeah, a lot of it, um, uh, yeah, the condition of the vent bag comes down to us. We've got to be really, we bang on with our um, boring the development because if we're, if we're, if things are too low, that just creates havoc forever. Yeah, and, and then after all of that, your guy at the face is saying, we don't have enough air. You know, and it depends on how far the vent bag has to run, how many leaks are in it, the condition of it, oh, how many bends. But then they like I mean, it levels its supply, and then whether there's chokers installed, and like you, but you got to apply the chokers, and um, even to put the chokers on correctly, you got to turn the whole fan off. Like a lot of people don't do that; like they just try and fight the bloody fight the vent to to pull the choker close yeah but yeah then you still it, you, you still got a little bit coming out so do then, any of the vent bag suppliers provide any education to the guys the operations guys on um you know how to probably look after i mean obviously you, you don't run into the vent bag but 
Yeah, know, proper, oh, proper installation, operation. Yeah, well, I've heard um, someone told me that because normally, you know, you've got the eyelets going around the whole way. Everyone puts a clip in every single one of them. I've Someone told me the um, correct procedure, correct installation is actually to put a clip in every second eyelet. So then if it gets torn, you've still got the every other second eyelet to use and that whole bag's not ruined. Oh, okay. That's, yeah. I've always, you know, you always see everyone just install clips in every single eyelet. If you go every second, it's still got it closed, but then if it gets, those ones get ripped or it gets grabbed, you've still got a set of good eyelets you can use to reconnect it. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I don't know enough about the, the vent bag. Yeah. But there, there's ones out there now, good uh, choke, vent choke systems out there that you can, um, like you install as a bag and you hook them up to an airline. So to choke the bag, you turn the air on and it inflates okay. inside the vent bag and fully blocks off that bit of vent, saves installing the rope chokers and everything. Because yeah. that's the biggest thing is, um, yeah, choking. Like you might have vent bag buddy going everywhere off one fan, but having it fully choked off in all the areas that you're not working to maximise the flow of where you are working. Um, it's all good in theory, but we've got a bit of bit of stuff to do underground. <laughs> it's uh, it's a to yeah. keep. Yeah, you reckon they'll ever get because um, hard plastic ducting is it? Is it's it, a, just a, it's a lot um, more manually intensive to install. Yeah, once yeah. it's up, it's up. Yeah. Um, and it is it is good, but it's and a lot harder to install because you got heavy, to, and, and, and there's a lot of um, uh, like the manual handling of it, and the because you got this big plastic duct and sitting on an IT basket, and same thing you got you put it up to the backs. How do you think people are gonna climb? Uh, gonna get it shackled to the backs? Yeah, are they gonna do it the right way, or they're gonna climb up and stand on the edge of the bloody basket? Yeah, yeah. which is what there's a lot of issues can with happen. that. So like there needs to be a um, whereas when you just install a normal vent bag, it's all deflated, and you're right at the backs. There's no. There's no reason you don't have to, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, seen, I've seen the plastic ducting of like, I think there's, you know, you've got to pre-hang your chains and everything to make sure it's done right. But then you got, once you put personnel involved, they'll climb on the edge of the basket and buddy put themselves in harm's way, which is not allowed. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, primary fans can have pressure and flow managed monitoring equipment put on it so you know what it's doing most of the time give or take once you've calibrated calibrated at the site conditions booster fans the same you can apply you know um, pressure and flow meters across the equipment across the bulkhead to give you an indication of what the fans prefer what the fans performing and what it's doing but secondary fans get thrown up on the back and they turn them on and there's mm. no monitoring or pressure other than the vo coming around every now and then to do a traverse across the drive um, or the guys at the face saying it's too bloody hot. We need more air. Mm. Um, there's no performance measuring or or determination of what the secondary fans are doing, and that's impacted solely generally upon by the duct that's connected to it. You know what condition yeah. it's in, all the losses that you know the run that it's got to do, how many branches are off it, how many chokers are on it, how much leakage is in it. Mm. They all affect the performance of the secondary fan. Yeah. Um, which is critical to the guys at the face most of the time, you know. Well, that, and that, that's the thing because we're in a like, – look, it's all good if you're at a, you know, a BHP site where it's bloody low, slow development rates and they've got the – 
people and the capital to install permanent ducting and get it done right. But when you're in the, I guess, the high intensity, high development rate contract environment we're in, um, it's just not feasible to have all that. Like we're we're sort of we're in we're in and out very quickly. Yeah. There, so that's when they obviously install the like the um what do you call it fabric ducting whatever just normal vent bag. Well, lay flat vent bag. Yeah, because yeah. their their service crew got that much bloody stuff on, so they got to be they got to be installing it quickly. But then it all it comes down to us, the jumbo operators, to make sure that we. Mine to design, but not under it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you want to obviously carry a couple of hundred mil in your backs just to, but then it comes down to like obviously the engineers and the the clients want to save money and bloody rip the contractors off and put the make the drives as small as possible. So it's harder for us to work in because they want to take less waste out of the hole, but then they obviously still have the ventilation requirements. So you still got to run big bag in these small drives and we're, trying to drive under it and then yeah it's a very it's all a very fine line it depends who you want to please yeah it's, um there's yeah so we're as you said we've got to be within a couple hundred mil to have everything the sweet spot too low you bugger the vent too high you get fisted for overbreak <laughs> poor me you can't win can you can't win god <laughs> yeah, we're just trying to make an honest bloody living for our family yeah. oh, the pressure oh, it's got <laughs> the pressure hear, everyone yeah i can hear me boss going off his bloody head right now yeah, yeah. well that's what he's supposed to do he's supposed to keep you in line oh he does too Shout yeah. out to you, Aaron. Uh, yeah, well, there you go. That's been a good bloody, a good another tech talk for the ventilation fans out there. Tech talk? Well, for the ventilation fans. Yeah. Because there's fans of, there's people that are just live and breathe this. Live uh, and breathe. Oh, God. It's just always bloody <laughs> Breathe, Breathe life into life of mine. Breathing air breathe into, air life, into life of mine. Yeah. Yes. That's the new catch cry. It is. Now, next yarn. Uh, TLT episode number three, which will be coming up. We're going to be talking about uh, site testing and lab testing of fans. Yeah, we'll try and Very do interesting. it. Try and do it without pictures because we don't have a picture audience. Well, it's just like, and as you said, like uh, most of the testing is done by the ventilation officer of like you know what the vent circuit's doing. But I guess we want to talk about testing of what the actual fans doing. Yeah, and it just give the guys a bit of an understanding out in the field of you know what how the fan should be performing, what conditions to look for. You know, sometimes, guys, the operators who are around the equipment can easily see small visual signs or indications or they're feeling issues or, you know, the guys on site that are using the equipment can get a gauge on whether it's performing, not performing. And a lot of these things are hard to install, just be, are hard to test because of the way they're installed. Yeah. Um, and then once they're put in, the guy at the face says, yeah, no, it's cool enough down here. I'm getting enough air. Then they think that the fan's performing. It may not be performing. It could be providing more or more efficiently or more effectively. Or It's just about educating the industry and understanding the equipment a little bit better, I suppose. I'm just I've, – I've pretty much made a decision. I may working in shallow mines for the rest of my life because it's so much cooler. <laughs> I'm in a shallow one at the moment. If I went, had to go throw in somewhere deep, I'd just be sad. So yeah. I'm just – I'm taking that out of the equation for myself. So oh, yeah. everyone else that's working deep, I'm feeling – You're going to be I'm a feeling, shallow the expert. I'm a shallow miner now. Sh- shallow expert. Shallow mining, shallow person. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> right, good on your fan, man. Thanks very much, mate. Thank you, Matt. Uh, contact details as per usual, mate. How do we get in contact with the fan, man? Yeah, you can come through your link um, or tltturbo.com. Um, um, I can leave my – we can put my email contact details in the next posting um, and we can go from there. But I'm sure you can find – you'll find me if you need me. Mate, If and it tell you what, if you – here's an offer for everyone. If you intru- if you drop the name Fan Man, you get a 10% off your first fan purchase. 10%. <laughs> you'll be generous, aren't you? You've got to call him the Fan Man, you, you but. Got, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, pre- premium product. Um, don't know about dropping 10%. I've got to speak to the boss about that. <laughs> Hey, um, at least we're getting them in the door. But, cer- but certainly we'll be looking after first-time buyers. Don't worry about that. Good stuff. Yeah. Very good, mate. Right. Good on your fan, man. Thanks we'll again, look Matt. Look forward to episode number three coming Take in care. the new year. Hey, right. <laughs>